This morning, uh, we're continuing on in Acts, and, uh, and the topic today is prayer. Uh, we did a lot of talk about prayer at the beginning of the year. In fact, we started off with a whole series at the beginning of 2018 uh, for, I don't know, six, seven Sundays, something like that, uh, taking up the theme and the topic of prayer. And, and today, we're going to particularly look at this idea of intercessory prayer or intercession. You know, if you've ever been a moment where you just knew that things were beyond your ability to control in the situation. And, and not only that, but you just felt like you needed other people to be praying for you. We've all been there from time to time. <laughs> maybe a lot, maybe not. But um, intercession is that kind of prayer that is um, somebody, on behalf of somebody else, us um, intervening on their behalf is what it means to, to intercede, for us to come in and be, inter, intervene on somebody else's behalf. And particularly in prayer, it's for us to begin to pray and do a, a spiritual intervention on somebody else's behalf, to begin to pray and seek God and, and pray for them and their situation and their circumstances and, and what it is that's going on. You know, oftentimes those things that lead us to, uh, to cry out for intercession, to cry out for other people to come along and pray for us, usually those are very tangible, physical situations around us. Maybe it's, you know, financial issues that we're going through. Maybe it's health issues. We could just go on through the list of all the things that are going on that time to time call for us to say, I need somebody to pray. I need somebody to intercede on my behalf. But we also learn from Scripture that the, the real battle is not the physical things going on around us. They're very real. They're very tangible. They have a huge impact on our lives. But, but we're told in Ephesians that the real battle, the real struggle that's going on is a spiritual struggle. That our, we really wrestle actually against spiritual forces and, and kingdoms and authorities that in the spiritual realm. And, and we're going to see a little bit of that interaction today in, in this passage. But intercession is that prayer for others on their behalf going before the throne of God. We'll talk a little bit about the passage this morning. We'll look through a little bit of that. I think in preparation for this today, I feel like sometimes it's not so much teaching that we need as actually testimony a bit. I want to give some testimony about real things that have happened in, in, in my life about that, and then we take a few points away at the end as well. But it, just jumping back to, to what uh, Carolyn just read this morning, um, we've been watching that the, the followers of Jesus have been, um, ever since Jesus left, they have been through difficulty and struggle. We saw first it was the Sanhedrin who was arresting people and bringing them, putting them in jail. And, and Peter's already escaped jail once or twice before. He's already been set free and released and sent off in the middle of the night. All sorts of things have happened. And then last week, we were looking at um, Antioch, and, and as the faith began to spread from the Jewish community into the Gentile community, we, we looked last week at the fact that the first time ever, the, the followers of Jesus were called Christians, and it was very likely that that appeared in documents that the Roman Empire uh, sent back to talk about this disturbance that was happening in, in, in Antioch. And today, we pick up again. There is another um, challenge going on. James 
It begins with, he's been arrested. James, the brother of John. James, the one of James and John, you know, the, the, the sons of thunder. That James has been arrested. And not only was he arrested by Herod, so now it's moved from the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders to now the, the political leader of the day, Herod. Herod has had James arrested and decides to execute James. And it just simply says that he, they with the sword. In other words, they just chopped his head off. This is the first and the only time in the New Testament that we know and we hear of the martyrdom of one of the apostles, one of the twelve. But it's James the apostle who is put to death by Herod. No fanfare here. No, this isn't like Stephen where we have a long passage. It just simply states now that James was arrested by Herod and he was executed. And Herod finds that this actually is very popular. Remember earlier when the disciples were being arrested, the people were a bit fearful because they weren't sure how people were going to respond. And in fact, at a few times they released them because they thought, oh, if we, the people are going to be upset if we arrest them and if we do anything to them. And so they had released the disciples. But now Herod executes James and it's actually in public opinion is pretty high. He's checked the polls the next morning and people seem really happy with it. And so he does what? He goes out and has Peter arrested. And he thinks, well, I've had Peter arrested and I'll wait until Passover. I'll wait till the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and, and we'll have the, the, the court case and the execution right around that time. Same kind of time Jesus was executed, crucified. And so that's the plan. And so Peter's there sitting in prison. And it says just simply that as he was sitting there in prison, having been arrested, that the church began to pray. Now, I don't think that means they weren't praying for James. We'll talk a little bit about that. I think they had been praying for James as well. Let me just put a note here. We'll talk about this in a minute. Intercession doesn't always mean we get the answer we want. James is executed. But as Peter sits in prison, the church again rallies to prayer. And they begin to intercede, to call out to heaven on Peter's behalf. And as they're calling out and interceding for Peter, well, if you've been around very long in the Christian faith, you probably have experienced this. At the last moment, <laughs> the night before the trial and the execution, Peter there in prison with not just a few guards, but it says that four groups of four, 16 men to guard Peter. Why? Because he had a reputation of getting out of jail free, <laughs> like Monopoly. <laughs> so 16 guards had been placed to ensure that he didn't leave. And in the middle of the night, I find this interesting too, he's comfortably asleep. I don't know about you, I might have had a restless night. <laughs> Peter says it's sound asleep, so much sound asleep that an angel shows up, and an angel, when he shows up, he's got to kind of slap him around a little bit. He says he you know, kind of smacked him aside the head sort of thing. This bright light shines in, and Peter wakes up, and he's like, quick, get your coat, come on, and all of a sudden the chains break off, and, and, and Peter says, I didn't even know if it was real or not. It was like, is this a dream? It's like sort of, a, now I feel that way every morning, most mornings. Is this real? 
Did I, what day is it? Let alone in the middle of the night. Peter gets let out and the guards are just there and he goes through the first cell and everything and finally the gate of the prison he goes through and, and the angel goes with him for another block down the street. And then all of a sudden it's gone and at that moment Peter sort of turns around and recognizes and it comes to him and he says, this is real. Remember I said our battle isn't against flesh and blood? <laughs> the intercession of the church that are praying for Peter has caused a spiritual messenger, messenger of God to come down and intervene in the situation because there's been something going on in the heavenlies and, and this angel has been released to go and literally release Peter from the bondage that he's in. And uh, he makes his way there from, from, the, from the prison to, to Mary's house. Why there? I think we know because he, think that, he knows that's where people are praying. That's the place the church gathers in moments like these to pray. And so he goes there and here they are in the middle of the night. And what is it? There's a whole group of people there praying through the night, interceding for Peter on his behalf through the night in that house. And in case you just think there's no comedy in Scripture, I find the next thing that happens incredibly funny. Because Peter goes and knocks on the door. And this servant, Rhoda, she opens, I imagine, sort of a little hole in the door. Who is it? Looks out. Peter? Is that you? Yeah, it's me. Wow. <laughs> You're never going to guess what happened. Peter, he's outside. It's just amazing. He's just standing there in the door. And then there's an argument breaks out. No, no, that can't be Peter. We're praying for Peter. He's in prison right now. We know it can't be Peter because we know it. Do you understand the dynamic there? You're praying for him to be released from prison to be spared, and he's standing at the door, and you're arguing, saying there's no way that could be Peter. That's faith at work. No, it's not. <laughs> and she keeps insisting, no, it really is Peter. And then finally somebody says, well, if it's Peter, then it's his ghost. <laughs> and then Peter's still there, what? Knocking at the door. I mean, you could just see the whole comedy routine of all of that. And finally, Rhoda comes back in, and he's like, could you just let me in? I'm trying not to get caught out here, okay? And he comes in, and they begin to rejoice, and he's like, spread the word. Let him know that I'm free, and he escapes because of the intercession, because of people that are calling out to the throne of God on his behalf. This week, I was... Um, just thinking about examples of intercession in my own life and felt like, uh, as I said earlier, that sort of sometimes the best way to talk about these things is through testimony, not just principles and points, but just through testimony because we need to know that these things are, it's not just Peter. It still happens today in our own lives and I know there's probably many examples in this room today. Interestingly enough, um, when I was praying about this on Monday, uh, a few um, times and instances came to my mind, and I, all of them I just sort of felt like, no, that's not really it, and I've sort of maybe shared some of them one time or another in different places, and, um, and then the Lord just afforded me a great opportunity this week, a whole new experience and that I could just share with you about, and I will in just a minute, but, but the first one I want to share this morning is actually a bit more like the situation with James. Back in January of 1994, 
um, Shelly and I were living in Colorado, and my mom and dad had come to visit us for the holidays, and um, on the trip, uh, my dad sort of had developed a cough, and uh, it just sort of seemed like it was sort of, you know, respiratory infection or something like that, and just normal for that time of year. And um, as he went back home and went to the doctor, they sort of diagnosed him and said, oh, you've got pneumonia, you've got a case of pneumonia, and they put him on all the antibiotics and those sorts of things. And as all of that was going on, Shelly and I began to just pray for him, pray for healing. As we were interceding for him both independently, separately, um, as I started to pray, I kept getting this impression every time that I prayed that this was far more serious. But not only that it was far more serious, I began to get this impression that he was going to die, that he wouldn't survive. I didn't want to say that to anybody. But that's what kept happening every time I prayed. One day, after this had been going on for a while, Shelly Shelley and I were talking and praying for him, um, sort of in one of those moments. I don't know really who spoke it out first, but I just finally, I think both of us began to just say, and sh we shared with each other, and as we did, we both had been separately praying for him, and as we prayed for him, we felt like this was a sickness that was going to lead to death. Now, that didn't stop us from praying for his healing. It didn't stop us from praying that he would be made whole and restored, but as it, at that point, it was still just sort of pneumonia, but as it went on, the doctors then couldn't figure out, and it went further and further until a few months later, it finally ended up in surgery, and as they opened him up to try and get a handle on what was going on, they re realized that his body was just riddled with cancer, and they closed him up and said, there's nothing more we can do. It's just spread everywhere. Now, there were lots of people praying, lots of people interceding. But you know, the thing is, part of intercession is not just about getting the answer we want. Part of intercession, in fact, I think the significant part of intercession is actually for us to encounter God in a way that we know he's at work, whatever the answer is, whatever the outcome is. It was not long after that my dad died that summer and we began to share that actually throughout this period we had felt all along that we never stopped praying for his healing but we also felt every time we went for prayer that it wasn't going to end in that. I kind of wonder with James as the church prayed if there wasn't that sense as well. James may not make it and isn't going to make it but nonetheless as we encounter God on other people's behalf the Lord begins to speak to us and reveal things to us. He doesn't answer the why. I don't find very often that we ever get the why question answered. What we do get answered, though, is just a sense that somehow God is at work and he's in control of all of this. And I think he asks of us for us to say, that's enough. I still don't know why my dad died at 56. But you know what I am confident of? I am confident that God was in the middle of it and that he was, we were encountering God and on his behalf and on our behalf and others were as well because of intercession and because of prayer. Well, I told you something happened this week. Um, Tuesday morning, I got up uh, at 
3.45 a.m., intended to get up at 3.45 a.m. to send my son off to Moldova, because who doesn't go to Moldova in August? Uh, a friend of his from, uh, from school uh, goes to Moldova every summer, and um, he had had an invitation to go meet up with him. And, uh, and so he was on his way, first flight out uh, of Heathrow uh, uh, that morning, on Tuesday morning, to uh, go to Frankfurt, change planes, and then go into uh, to Moldova. So I got up early, sent him off on his way, and, uh, and, and everything, and, and it was all was good. Um, it's interesting, I said to Shelley when I was leaving that morning, I said, you know, this is a weird day. I said, I, I've, I've got some, a few things that need to be done, but it's like, it's August and there's not a lot of like heavy duty things to do today on my diary, which is really nice sort of thing. I, I'll get my sermon prepared. I'll, I, I'll get all ahead on things. Well, really, and Simon can tell you, but it wasn't long after I got into church and sort of here for a few minutes that uh, all of a sudden I had a message from Harrison. And he's like, I just landed in Frankfurt, but the, um, I have to go through security again, and there's long lines, and, and it's going to be really tight. Now, this weird thing had happened that when he had booked his ticket on, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't mention the airline, um, but it, when he booked his ticket, uh, it was cheaper for him to get a business class fare on the flight out that morning than it was a, a standard coach ticket. So I said to him, you're flying business class, go, there'll be an expedited security line. And he's like, yeah, I know, I'm on it. I'm trying to get through that right now. Well, it wasn't long after that I got a message back from him and he said, Dad, I missed the flight. They actually pushed back, the plane pushed back and they closed the door 20 minutes early and I've missed the flight. And, uh, and I can't get into it. I can't, we don't have enough time for me to just track the day. But the day, I went from there to getting like just worse. Every time we tried to correct something, find a way out, a solution, it just kept getting worse. The best the airline could do, they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even tell them that they'd put them on tomorrow's flight on standby. They said, tomorrow's flight's booked. And they wouldn't offer them a standby seat. They just said, no, you can't go. It's already booked. And so they were going to start to fly him to places and put him on like 27-hour train journeys from there. And I'm like, no, you're not doing that. You're better off just staying where you are. And we kept trying to negotiate with the airline and nothing was happening and it was just getting more complicated. Now, I had let Shelly know that he had missed the flight and I knew, of course, that she would be praying and I knew that she probably was already talking to a few people and asking them to pray. What I didn't do was throughout the day as it just progressively got worse, I stopped updating her. Because I knew, you know, if you don't have good news and you don't have a solution, there's no point in just keeping the updates coming. So at a certain point, I was just like radio silence for Shelley. I just like kept, and every 15 minutes, something was happening. I mean, like I said, I can't get, but at one point, the air, half the airport was shut down because of a security uh, breach um, in Frankfurt. And anyway, all sorts of things were happening. I finally booked a ticket for him on another airline. And bizarrely, what it said online, what it said on the ticket that we had, and what it said on the boards in the airport, all three had different times on them, and nobody had accurate information. That was just another little thing going on during the day. He had been back and forth and between two terminals, and it was just, it was just this sort of long day of... I kept reassuring myself, though, in the middle of the day, this is just about inconvenience, though. I mean, he's at the airport, he's safe, nothing, you know, nothing's at risk. It's just, it's just a really inconvenient day of travel. And just when we sort of kind of thought everything was sorted, um, I get a phone call from him. 
And he just says, Dad, it's really bad. I mean, it has not been a great day so far. (laughs) To have your 18-year-old son say, Dad, it's really bad. I'm like, okay. And he goes, I've lost my passport. Another flurry. Where was the last? I know the last. He said, I don't know. I don't even remember. But I said, but I know that it would have been because he was, again, traveling business class. So he would keep going to the business class lounge. And so he said, I, I, but, I, but I've been to three different business class lounges. And so he said, I, I, I said, well, go to the last one you were at because he had to have a proof of his you know, ticket every time. So I said, I don't know that it's there, but let's start by doing that. Well, meanwhile, half the airport's closed down because of a security breach, and now it's getting confusing, and you're panicked and all of that. And so he's going into lounge after lounge and going, I don't remember this one, because there's not three. There's actually 14 different lounges in there. And so he's like, no, this isn't it. And then I'm on the phone with him, and, you know, you just the, the, the stress is you could just hear it. Until finally he walked in the door and he goes, I remember this one. Yes, this is the last one I was at. Meanwhile, I've been on the phone calling Lost and Found and, 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 and um, others in the office have been just doing everything they can do. And, and so, no, no passport. So I know he's not going to Moldova at this point, right? So I'm like, the best hope is that maybe they would actually let you on a flight and get you back to London because he at least had his residency card with him. He had that separate, his little British residency thing. So I set him up in a line and just told him, go wait in this line at the airline and see what they can do and what, you know, what the options are now. Meanwhile, by now, the consulate is closed in Frankfurt, but I'm on the emergency line with them saying, what do I do? What's the situation? What's the hope? And they said, look, there's nothing that's going to happen now until 8.30 in the morning when the office opens back up here. But what he has to do is report it lost or stolen and get a police report. That's the next thing that has to happen. By the way, at the time that his passport was lost, I called Shelley back. Thought it was probably time for an update. Not the upbeat kind of update I had been hoping for, but the update actually to say what? To say, get people praying. I already knew that there were people praying, but I was like, this has just turned into now a nightmare. And, and she did immediately begin to just spread out to people all over, begin to pray. I know some of you as well. And so people just started praying and... and um, And Shelly then began sharing that actually before the trip, she had sort of been having this feeling like he was supposed to go on the trip, but it was going to, something was going to happen. It was going to be really hard. And then others that were praying for him began to let us know that they had the same sort of thing. Like this is going to be a really difficult thing and a difficult day, but it's going to be okay. Because that's what happens so many times in intercession. It's not even sometimes about the outcome, but it's about that assurance that God's at work in the midst of all these circumstances of our lives. Well, to make a long story short, because we're already gone way over, he's, um, he finally had to go to the police. They were not very helpful at first. He said, I need to report that my passport's missing or stolen. They said, do you know what? That's not our problem. He said, that's not a crime, that's just you being irresponsible. That's what he needed at this point of the day, by the way. That's really encouraging. And so after, he finally said to him, he said, no, the officer said, why are you talking to me about this? 
And he said, well, because my dad's just been on the phone to the consulate, and the consulate told him that I had to come here to you and file a report before I can go and get a replacement. And so he went in the back, and they began to sort of work, and things sort of started to shift. And as he's standing there interacting with the police, trying to fill out a report, his phone rings from a Frankfurt number. <laughs> and it's the airline saying, we found your passport in another terminal. <laughs> so he now has to go back again to another terminal to go get his passport and pick it up. Meanwhile, we still don't know anything about this flight. It was, according to the boards there and according to some of the information we have found, it should have left like two hours ago. According to his ticket, it should have left about 30 minutes ago. But I finally, I was getting on one of the apps I have on my phone to track these sorts of things, and I it finally had information, and it said, it gave on that flight, it said delayed. And then it said, click here to see the incoming flight. So I click there, and I, as, I mean, I've just heard that he's found his passport. I click on there, and it says, the incoming flight is arriving in 11 minutes. And I'm like, he might get to Moldova after all. <laughs> he went over and got his passport, and picked it up and the police officer was really nice there and helpful and everything and he got to the gate there was now a gate assignment he got to the gate and he said I got to the gate dad I handed them my passport and he said you stand over here he's like oh no he go, he's like I don't know they've just separated me out from everybody else I'm like oh no and then he messages back he said I just realized why I'm the only one that's not Moldovian that's on this flight <laughs> he made it to Moldova and good news is his bag made it there yesterday. This was Tuesday. His bag got there yesterday. I mean, again, it was just an inconvenience. It's just a bad, hard day of travel for an 18-year-old. But you know what? To know that people are praying, to know that as the situation seemed to get darker, to have people coming back and reporting back and saying, yeah, it's going to be a hard day for him. But God's at work. God's doing something in his life in this moment. Those are the kinds of things that happen when we have people praying for us, that when we intercede for people, those are the kinds of things that happen. Let me just end with three quick things. One is, first of all, if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I don't even have people like that in my life that I would know to go to, let me first give you the assurance that you do have somebody that's interceding for you. Jesus, it says, sits at the right hand of the Father and that he is always making intercessions for you and I. He is always there sitting at the hand of his Father making intercessions. Look at these, listen to these two verses, well, three verses, let me read three verses. Two verses from Hebrews. One says, for Christ entered heaven itself and now to appear for us in God's presence. And then Hebrews 7 says this, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is alive today, interceding for you. Romans 8, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So I just want to say, first of all, you have somebody right now interceding for you, and it is the person of Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father. There, pleading your behalf, pleading your case. 
you have somebody interceding. It is the work of Jesus to be an intercessor. But then I just want to encourage you, if you, if you don't have people that you know you would turn to in a time of prayer, I just want to say now, in a time maybe when you're not even in need, who are those people in your life that you know just pray? Who are the people that you know, I don't know much about them, but I know they're a person who prays. I want to encourage you today to maybe go to a person like that. If you don't have anybody else, go to a person like that and just ask them, you know what, I know you pray. And I wonder if, if ever there was a time that I had need and somebody, I needed somebody to pray for me, would, would you be willing to do that? You know what? You might actually be answering one of their prayers. <laughs> People especially are gifted and called to be intercessors oftentimes are looking and longing for those opportunities to pray on other people's behalf and to plead their case before the throne of heaven. So go and find some people in your life that you can ask to pray. You can always call the church, and Pippa now has taken on a role of, of prayer and, and pastoral care, and, and we might be able to help, and we'll be able to help that as well. But, but I just encourage you, find those people around you that you can go to and pray and ask to pray for you. And then thirdly, I just want to encourage you to pray for others. I don't consider myself an intercessor. There are people that have a real gift of intercession. I don't consider myself to have that gift of intercession, but I pray for people all the time. And people come and talk to me or ask and different things, and that's part of our role. It's part of what God's called us to do. It's part of us being like Jesus, because Jesus is the ultimate intercessor, and he invites us to join with him. So look for those opportunities, and, and don't feel like you have to, you're not there to solve the problem. You're just there to stand in agreement and to pray and to see what the Lord might say. Sometimes the answer isn't quite what we would hope for. But knowing that there are people that have been with us and journeying with us in prayer assures us and reassures us of God's presence through difficult times. And then there are times when through intercession and prayer Something happens between heaven and earth and spiritual forces shift and take and change. And like Peter, somebody's there nudging you in the middle of the night, get up, put on your coat, let's go. We're breaking out of this jail. And freedom comes. And the answer we were hoping for happens. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are there at the right hand of the Father praying for us, interceding. Lord, my prayer for each one of us here today is that we would find those people and you would begin to link us with those people who can pray with us and pray for us when times of difficulty come. Because, Lord, we need people to intervene on our behalf. To, Lord, open our eyes to those people around us who you have already placed there that could be people and intercessors for us.
and with us. And Lord, we also ask you that you would tune our ears to the needs of those around us, that we might intervene on their behalf before your throne. We thank you that you're a God who answers prayer. We thank you that you make ways through difficult times and difficult seasons. You see us through. That your word says you never leave us or forsake us. So we just say thank you, Lord. Thank you for the witness of those that prayed for Peter. Thank you for those in this congregation who are intercessors and gifted in this way and constantly praying for others. May we be people of boldness and confidence in you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.